1: this is Sandy. Today's Money Tales guest is John Foley. John is a former lead solo pilot of the Blue Angels. Being up in the sky, flying 18 inches apart from the next plane at 500 miles per hour requires intense communication and a deep understanding of what your role is. Also critical to this level of success is having trusting your team and a commitment to continuous learning. As you'll hear, this is how John approaches all aspects of his life, including his personal finances.
2: Hi, this is Cami. John is an awesome guy. He's accomplished, generous, and intensely focused. In addition to a successful career in the Navy, John was a Sloan Fellow at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and a venture capitalist. Today, John is a top-rated leadership keynote speaker, gratitude guru, and expert in the how of high-performance teams. He employs the intense realities he experienced as a Blue Angel as a metaphor to motivate teams to reach for their highest potential and empower organizations to sustain excellence under dynamic change. John is also a philanthropist. In 2011, he and his wife created the Glad to Be Here Foundation to make an even greater difference in the world.
1: Please stick around after the interview for our takeaways from this discussion. Now... Onto to our conversation with John Foley.
2: John Foley, welcome to Money Tales. It's great to have you here.
3: Well, I'm glad to be here. And that statement, I guarantee you, will
2: mean a lot more to everybody by the end of this podcast. Thanks for having me. Fantastic, John. Would you provide us an overview of your life with a couple pivotal moments that make you the person you are today?
3: I'll try to make this quick because it's a pretty exciting life. Uh, Bottom line, I was born in Germany. My dad was an army officer. I loved my dad. I want to grow up just like him. So, I'm thinking, and he's an engineer. I'm thinking that's what I'm going to be in life. And then one day, he took me to an air show. I'll never forget this moment. 12 years old. Look up in the sky. I see these six magnificent blue jets flying that day. Uh, Happened to be the blue angels. I turned to my dad. I said, Dad, I want to do that. Well, guess what? 18 years later, with a lot of challenges, a lot of setbacks, I was strapped into that cockpit as a blue angel. And that was an incredible experience for me. Happy to share some of those. It taught me lessons. It really wasn't about the flying. It was about how communication and trust and teamwork can produce unbelievable results in any aspect of your life. Then I went to Stanford Business School, got three master's degrees, worked in venture capital in Silicon Valley back in the 2000. We all know what happened there. I was in the internet bubble. decided I'd rather be an entrepreneur. So I was out there starting a couple companies, and currently, right now, I've had the rare privilege to work with over 1,500 organizations around the world. We talked to the leaderships, their teamwork, about taking it to the next level. Just got back yesterday from being on the road, so I'm I'm loving life and, and grateful to be here. Glad to be here.
2: Yeah, We're glad to have you here. I do love that slogan or your mantra and it does represent your energy so well, John. You mentioned your dad, obviously a really important figure in your life. Tell us a little bit more about growing up and what were the conversations like back at home, specifically about financial stuff?
3: Yeah, well, a little of both. I mean, first off, I'll give him an hire and then we can talk financial. I had an incredible childhood, had a beautiful family. My mom and my dad, I have an older sister, always felt inspired and safe, could do anything. My dad, if I think about integrity, which I know is important in money and it's important in all our lives, he was the example. I didn't need a definition. I just looked at him and I go, that's character and that's integrity. And when I think of my mom, I just think of love. Honestly, I think about, wow, what would baby Jesus look like up to his mom? To me, that was my mom. To have that stability, which allowed me to really explore any aspect in life. Mostly it started with sports. I just felt that I was supported and they were always there at the games and and that kind of stuff. My passion was flying, so that's why everything was geared towards the military and flying. I will say with financial, we didn't make a lot of money. I mean, my dad was an army officer. You don't make a lot of money as an army officer, but I never knew that. You know, I never knew that as a child. And that was really cool is we were basic American family. We had just enough. I remember I never felt like I needed anything. I got the things I needed but money was never an issue as a child. I didn't even think about it through the whole thing. I did realize that my dad was smart and he invested in real estate. So every time we went somewhere, we had a new home. Every three years we moved because that's the way the military is. Instead of staying on base housing, he would buy a home and then instead of selling that home, he would rent it and he would get another loan and bought another home. Years later, I think he had a portfolio of 12 or 13 real estate apartments, homes. And I'll do remember, because he did pass away, that the lawyer at the trust said he's never seen a public figure because after the military, my dad went into the water business. He made decent money, but not a lot. Never seen a public figure create such a portfolio. It was really cool. So I've learned a lot about
1: that, at
3: least the real estate side about that.
1: And John, were these homes located throughout the world? Because you mentioned- Yeah. Well, mostly the US,
3: all US. I was born in Germany, but that was then we moved back to the U.S. and stayed there. Got it. it.
1: You knew at the age of 12 what you wanted to do in your future. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Did you just go straight into the military as soon as you could? Well, I tried.
3: I got rejected. They didn't want me. It's the classic story. Bottom line was as a 12-year-old kid. I had that passion, but I also wanted to play, I played football and I wanted to try to make a run at that. It was a couple of things. Bottom line is I needed a path and the path to flying jets. That's what I wanted to do. I want to fly jets was go to the military academies. That's what I I wanted to do. You can go to other schools and do ROTC and some other things, but I wanted to go to academies. And uh, everything was lined up. I applied, is looking pretty good. And then all of a sudden I get a rejection letter. I'm going, what? And they rejected me because I was not physically qualified, which again was really weird because I'm playing football. I'm wrestling. I'm as healthy as I think I can be. And I'll never forget this. It says you have too much protein in your urine. So you're rejected. I'm like, First off, (laughs) what is that? Yeah. And second off, what am I supposed to do about it? Right. So I think it's kind of cool because I think this is a great analogy towards finances and other things in our life. There's things we can control and there's things we can't control. You can't control the economy. I mean, we can't control COVID. We got to react to it and we have to make the best of it. And the same thing happened to me. I was like, huh, well, that's weird. I was disappointed. And I said, well, what's plan B? Plan B was reapply. Well, guess what? They had rejected me again. Okay. I got to come up with plan C go through a medical waiver process, takes about a year. And then said, might as well have fun while I'm doing that. Went to Colorado, played football, walked on. But then I I got through the process. And what it turned out is, I know this in hindsight, I was cutting weight for wrestling. Those of you who have been on Atkin diets maybe know protein. It sheds protein. And so there was actually nothing wrong with me. But when we took the test, it kicked me out. And that's okay because what I did was I had a different path. I initially applied to the Air Force Academy, thinking Jets Air Force. Then I got a little smarter as I was going through this application process and said, holy crap, Navy is the one who flies jets off aircraft carriers. Guess what? The Blue Angels are Navy. I had actually applied to the wrong team, okay? And uh, (laughs) I got accepted for the academies and that was just the start of the pecking order. And I spent, you know, over 20 years in the military and I loved every single minute of it. And it was not for money. I know this is about finances, right? I joined the military for the opportunity to serve and the experiences. You definitely weren't paid too well, okay, but you were paid enough. And money was never my driver, okay? My driver was, can I impact somebody's life? Do I have a purpose larger than self? Is there a high-performance team around me? Now, you know, since I've gotten out, I realized you can have both. It's not an either or. And I enjoy making a lot of money and I enjoy investing. I enjoy all that kind of stuff. But the key is it was never my driver for happiness or gratefulness. I think it's a byproduct.
2: John, thank you for your service. I want to start there. So, you want to fly jets, but you want to fly jets in the hardest way possible, taking off and landing on an aircraft yeah. carrier. Tell us about that. Are you a thrill seeker or uh, just wanted the ultimate challenge? Well,
3: I think it's a little both. I don't know how you define thrill seeker. I mean, I do all that kind of stuff. I heli-ski now, You know, I jump off mountains. I do all that kind of stuff, ride Harleys fast. But it's not because I'm trying to I don't think just be a thrill seeker. I'm always trying to push my limits and find how do the best get even better. And uh, when it came to aviation, the flying fighter jets is the top of the pecking order. It's challenging. And then you go into flying them on and off aircraft carriers. That's incredible. I mean, I don't know. Do you ever see the movie Top Gun? I actually did some of the real flying in that movie. I was in the original movie. You know, we got the new one coming out, Top Gun Maverick in November. Yeah, and that was fun. You know, I mean, it was super challenging. It's a combination of you have to have personal mastery. You have to be trained. You have to know how to react under pressure. You have to know what it takes. But it's not about you. It's about the team. There's 5,000 people on aircraft carrier making sure everything works well. And that's what I am. I'm a team player. I like being on the pointy end of the spear, but I realize it takes a
1: whole team around. So, John, when you're up in the air that high doing all those crazy maneuvers, what's going on in your mind? What are you thinking about?
3: Well, you're totally focused, especially in the Blue Angels. When we're doing our our show and the maneuvers, you're flying 18 inches sometimes next to another airplane, 36. You're upside down. So, I can tell you what you're not thinking about. You're not going, oh, wow, this is cool. You know, (laughs) what you are thinking about is where do I need to be? What's my role? don't let my teammates down. I'm thinking ahead. You have to think fast. I mean, I've got a teammate coming at me at a thousand miles per hour closure. That's a mile every four and a half seconds. So you're thinking way ahead. You're not looking like what's in front of your car. What's the next turn? No, I'm looking mile ahead. But I also have to have the ability to open up and focus down because a lot's going on. And I think that's true in in life. It's true in markets. It's true in everything.
1: And John, sort of focusing you still on the time when you're in the military, we know from prior conversations with other guests that the military does take care of a lot of money aspects of one's life. Were you developing any personal financial skills while you were in the military? Right away, the first thing they,
3: at the Naval Academy, if I do remember being contacted by somebody about insurance and life insurance, they had a really good pitch. They said, so what did you pick? Aviation. They said, well, you better apply now because we can get you insurance now that you're not going to be able to get once you are flying jets. It sold me. I bought a whole life policy. Would I do that now? No. But at the point, I said, okay, that kind of makes sense. As far as the other things, yeah, the the military, you get a stipend for your housing allowance. There is things like that. But I can tell you that, no, I think it's more individuals. You got to educate yourself, really, mostly. And there's a lot of good opportunities to do that. And were you talking with colleagues about money at all? Yeah, yeah. Mostly not. I mean, money's not our number one conversation. I mean, if I'm just landing on the back of an aircraft carrier, first thing I'm talking about is, hey, I'm alive, okay? I'm glad, you know, what's the flight? Plus, I was out there deployed, but you got threats out there. You're focused on the protecting others and, and stuff like that. But maybe in the hindsight, we're sitting eating a, we call the mid-rats. He's had a late night carry landing. It's 2 a.m. You're sitting there talking with your buds. And uh, yeah, you can come up and say, well, well what, do you, you know, what are you investing on? I remember that I didn't even know about the stock market. Not really. And then all of a sudden in my military, you had some buddies that were investing. And I'm like, oh, tell me about it. And so I got excited about it. Money was not the first thing on our mind.
2: So then you go off to Stanford for these degrees. What was your vision?
3: Well, this is good. I wanted to reinvent myself. I had done a military career, I had flown. Flying's great. I love it. But I said, let's reinvent ourselves. And I think we all need to do that. I was surprised. I was really going to go to Harvard Business School. Not business school. I didn't even know about business. I was going to Harvard, uh, JFK, Kennedy School. And then I got a letter in the mail from Stanford Business School. I didn't even know what it was. There's this thing called a Sloan Fellowship and I was like, oh, what's this, you know? And uh, thought, I thought, I have time for that. I got some other stuff to do. But I remember calling up the uh, head of the program and I remember I, I took a test. It, what happened was I landed in another night carry landing. They have a little paper on the ship's papers, like four lines. And at the uh, end of the, the paper, it said, hey, we're doing a, a GMAT test at 6 a.m. And I don't even know what a GMAT is, but I was like, GMAT, what's that? And I was like, oh, if you want to get into school, it's good to have. I said, Oh, what the hell? I might as well take it. So, you know, I got about three hours sleep, woke up, took the test. Something worked because I get a letter, call the guy up and I said, uh, hey, I really don't really need you. I'm thinking about international policy studies. At that point, I was thinking more, that's what I enjoyed. Can you transfer me? And the guy said, what, what? You know, because that's the only number I have. And uh, he says, well, I can, but you know, wait a minute. Who are you? I said, I don't know. You sent me a letter. He goes, well, you want to talk about this? I said, no, actually, I just want to be transferred. Can you do that? And he goes, okay, fine. So he transfers me to the international policy studies. And then the next day, because I hadn't even read the program, I open up the brochure and I go, whoa this is pretty cool then I go wow look at that wow what you know I got 50 of my classmates this is the Sloan Fellowship we're in Silicon Valley it's about business and life the thing was booming this is in the mid 90s it was like 96 I think I picked up the phone again I said hey Kurt he was the director of the program I said sir can we start this conversation over (laughs) I said I would love to have a conversation with you and uh he said, well, you know, we had a great conversation well. The application is due tomorrow. If you can get it done, fine. I flew out and handed it to him the next day and boom, that changed my life.
2: Oh my gosh. And what a time to be in Silicon Valley. What an exciting time. And you ended up in venture capital. What was drawing you to become an entrepreneur? What was your interest? Tell us a little bit more about that.
3: It's amazing how life does these journeys. So I never expected to do either of those things. I came from a big organization. The military is a big organization. And I kind of knew that. And I thought, well, I'll get out and join a big company. And uh, then your classmates really inspired you. That's the one thing. I learned more from my classmates than anybody else. The professors, of course, were over the top. And of course, we would have all these, they call them brown bag lunches where companies would come in and present. So you got exposed to amazing stuff. And that changed my mind. I mean, I was like, whoa, what's this thing called entrepreneur? I couldn't even spell it. And I was like, wow, what is this? Right. And then I realized, wow, that's pretty exciting. Bottom line is, never planned to get into private equity, never got it planned to get in VC. It was one of my classmates. And I was going into, again, a big corporation. I had a good friend of mine, CEO of American Golf Corporation, David Price. He was rolling up the golf industry. This is back in the late 90s. It they, they was booming. And I thought, wow, that'd be great. You know, I can learn a lot from him. That didn't work because the, there was a big layoff. It happened. It got, you know, the classic supply and demand curve changed. All of a sudden, that wasn't going to work for me. And my buddy, Philippe, who was in a, a private equity, calls me up. He goes, how's that job going? I said, ah, just, it just went away. You know, it's not possible. And he calls back about, he's, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. Well, I'll figure something out. And then he goes, uh, calls me back about 10 minutes later. He goes, oh, that's too bad. And he hung up. He was at a baseball game. He calls me back 10 minutes later and says, hey, hey, what about, what if you came with us? And I said, Philippe, I know nothing about venture capital. I know nothing about technology, by the way. They were an early stage technology company. I said, why do you want me? He goes, well, we can teach you all that. You know how to win. And the bottom line is that's how my entree into that world. And then to be totally transparent, I don't think I was that good. I wasn't. I was behind the power curve. There was people way smarter than me. that understood the industry, understood the stuff. And I'm kind of hanging on in those meetings. But I knew people. I definitely knew people and I knew teamwork and I knew how to make good decisions. And then finally, I I said, you know, I think I want to try this entrepreneur thing.
1: That's a little exciting. That was the route I took. John, you just mentioned that you knew how to make good decisions. And I'm curious if you would say more about that because a lot of people might lack confidence in that when it comes to money matters.
3: Yeah. Well, I will caveat good decisions. They're not all good decisions, but at least I think I'm able to read the the tea leaves a little bit. And so the, the key there on confidence, yeah, I, I think a couple of things. First off, it's the classic Sun Tzu. I don't know if you read the book Art of War, but basically you got to know yourself. What's important to you? What are you trying to achieve? How do you think? And so I'm constantly learning about myself. I'm constantly looking outside of any dynamic. You know, I, I speak to all these companies right now. I'm on the speaking circuit. People call me up. I do keynote events, uh, you know, thousands of people on big stages. Just two days ago, I was with a 20 person leadership team on one of the biggest companies in the world. And when we do, you know, the, the leadership training, the leadership of high performance teams. And sometimes I'm with sales organizations as they're trying to take it to a whole new level. So I'm learning. I guess the key here is that I'm constantly learning. And I remember one of the things that happened in the bubble 2000 timeframe was uh, I didn't understand what's going on. There's a lot of people that didn't understand what's going on. And when it blew up, I kind of said, Hmm, I said, how come? But my how come question was not about why the internet bubble blow up. My question was, how come some people outperform others and some don't? How come some teams consistently outperform? How come some organizations can consistently be the best and some aren't? And that's been my quest for the last two decades. Okay, what I've done is I said, that's what I want to know. And there's a red thread. Now I've got the rare privilege. I work not only in the financial services industry, and I've spoken to pretty much almost all the large financial services firms, but I also work in healthcare because they need a lot of help right now, the, the health systems. I work with uh, manufacturing, Mercedes-Benz. They brought me in and we did a, a whole leadership event with all the, the dealers in Mercedes-Benz. And it could be in technology. It could be in, in sports. Nick Saban asked me to come in to Alabama and spend some time with him. We won the national championship. So what I realized is that there's a red thread. There's a red thread that goes through the best of the best. They do things similar. But there's also some unique differentiators. And so that's the real secret sauce is you got to understand there's process, there's mindset, I call operational excellence. The real differentiator is what I call this glad to be here mindset this ability to be grateful and present. When you combine the glad to be here mindset with operational excellence, that's when you get breakthrough performance. And that's what I'm teaching now and working with companies on. And it's it's a little unique. Every organization is slightly unique, but there are some things that work across the board.
2: John, the glad to be here mindset really resonates, but it also feels like something you can't teach. It's got to be Innate. You're in there trying to teach people how to have this grateful attitude. How do you go about doing that?
3: Well, yeah, oh, you can teach it for sure. I mean, first off, the human brain, we actually the way we think is from seeds, all right? You plant a seed, it waters, it grows. So there's different ways we can and we work on habits and training. So there's ways to do it. The the very first thing is is just defining. I call paint the picture. So the first thing I do when I go into organizations and I have tons of video of me flying in the jets. I mean, it's crazy to think you can fly 18 inches from another jet at 500 miles per hour. But I unpack the process. I say, okay, this is how we do it. Yeah. And this is how we do it with new people every year. So, all these challenges that we're having with the the world right now, there's a process to it. So, I break down the process. But more importantly is this mindset. And the mindset is really powerful. So, how you see the world. The world, let me ask you a question. Is the world coming from you or at you? What, what would you say? From you or at you? It's either the, by perception. Is the world coming at me? So, I'm here and all this stuff is happening. Boom, bam, 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 bam. Or is the world, am I projecting what I see? I'm projecting.
2: I'm projecting.
3: Yeah, exactly. So, it sounds simple, but it, it's very powerful. Most people actually, even yourself, you watch You check. A lot of times, you're not seeing it that way. Oh, the market just did this. Oh, I just got in a a business relationship that's not working out. It's the other person, personal relationships. We're always labeling stuff out there. That's just the way the world seems to work with duality. It turns out, I think it actually operates differently. The world is actually coming from us. So how we perceive the world, whether consciously or subconsciously, and it's supposedly 95 or 98% of, of our perceptions are subconscious. We think we're in here all the time, but we're not. Our habits, our patterns, you know, they're, they're ingrained with us, right? But the bottom line is that we can change that. So the, the idea here is you choose and it turns out that when you're in a grateful state of mind, so I teach this glad to be here uh, mindset. If you're in a grateful state of mind, you will see things others don't see and you'll have confidence to take the action. This is huge for finance. It's huge for life, right? Because there's an area in your brain that lights up where your perceptions come from. It lights up more when you're in a grateful state of mind as compared to fear-based, okay? And fear will take you the other way. And it also turns out that how you see that then is important. So, yeah. I wake up, so I'll get, uh, here, I'll, I'll give you a quick thing. Every morning I wake up, I do what I call my glad to be here wake up. I did it this morning. I do it every morning. I say, what am I grateful for in the present moment? My wife and I, we just laid there. We had our new dog. We just adopted a rescue dog. She's uh, She's laying right by my feet. Down here, she's a Rhodesian Ridgeback. And she's awesome. We've had her for like four months, All right. So uh, she sleeps in the crate, but she likes to get up in, in the in the morning and come see us. And so we're just cuddling there, and we're just saying, "Okay, what are you grateful for in the present moment?" We live in Sun Valley, and I'm about to go on a on a mountain bike ride, you know. And I and I was like, you know, I'm grateful for that. But then I was also this podcast was scheduled. We had real important stuff going on. I had to leave my team because we had this schedule. I made a commitment to you all, and they'll get it done. And uh, and, and so. The, We're in the present moment. I actually go back and people that are listening to this, go back 24 hours and remind yourself what happened yesterday. But I'm reminding the good things. And I'm I'm thinking about people's faces. I'm thinking about the client calls I had. I'm thinking about the event I just came back from. I'm thinking about how I can serve others. And then I go forward in my day and I think about, I use my agenda, but I thought about your podcast. I said, how can I make this the best podcast ever for them? That's my intent. You know, I do a podcast called The High Performance Zone. So I know what it's like to bring people on and to schedule this. And, uh, and I know we've been scheduling this for a while and I'm glad we could make it happen. So that that podcast, The High Performance Zone, by the way, it's going off the charts now. I bring in leaders like yourselves, people who are the best of the best in their fields. I don't care if it's finance. I don't care if it's sports, whoever the best is, healthcare, how are things changing the mind? And we're learning. And so I'm thinking ahead in my day, how can I support others and Anyhow, if you do that, it's a simple technique. You'll cut grooves in the brain. My wife says don't say that. But the, the neuroplasticity of your brain changes, okay? And
1: uh, you start to have more happy thoughts. And that's what I do. I'm waking up happy. Well, that's fantastic. I'm wondering, did you study and learn all of this? Or is this a natural part of who you are and what you've created for yourself and, and the science kind of came along with as you developed? Yeah, I think it's both, okay? I will tell you that, again,
3: we talked about my early childhood. I was very happy. Maybe I had some good karmic coming in. I, I, I didn't create it, right? I mean, uh, it was just there. But I think more importantly, what you're just asking is, yeah, I've done a lot of self-study. I mean, I've studied with the Dalai Lama. I've been with him. I've been with all kinds of people around the world, all kinds of leaders. And uh, I'm constantly learning. And that's the key, is trying to figure out you, what's the science behind this. Because I know it works. Just like on the Blue Angels, I've been through it. It's experiential. I'm not learning it from a textbook. I've done it. And then what I realize is you go, oh, let's reverse engineer it. Why is it working? And that could be in high performance. I've reversed engineered that. So, you know, the old strategic management theory, vision, plan, execute, feedback loop. We all know that. What's the vision? Come up with a plan, execute on plan, hopefully have a feedback loop. By the way, the weakest thing in most corporations. I go, to, I take it to a whole new level. I say, no, it's not about vision. I mean, yeah, you, got, you, you have to know what your vision is, but it's really about beliefs. How do you get people committed and bought in? So, I help leaders get buy-in and commitment from people. That's hard. That's not an easy thing to do. Then I say, okay, it's not about planning. We all can plan. I want to talk about preparation. How do you show up? How do you mentally focus your mind? How do you zoom in and zoom out? How do you black out distractions? How do you make it absolutely incredible for your salespeople to be at the top of their game? Bam. So we talk about that. I get alignment with the leadership teams. How do we, and then how do you scale that alignment? How do you, how do you operationalize cultures? We talk about culture and how to put it through the whole exam. How do you execute through high trust? So I talk about trust. It's not about execution, it's about trust. High trust contracts like coming at each other at a thousand miles per hour closer and missing within a wingspan based on a trust contract that says, I'll be out one person, I'll hold the line, the other person says I'll miss you, okay? And then the, the biggest thing that, that is just the game blower and sustains everything is what I call a glad to be or debrief and I teach companies and people how to actually learn and continually learn and it's a, uh, you got to have a safe environment. There's five dynamics. You have a safe environment, there's respect, you check your ego at the door, there's humility, you lay it on the table, there's openness and honesty, you have what I call this accountability through personal responsibility or ownership mentality but it's all wrapped around glad to be here. I'm in a constant state of learning. I'm in a constant state of growing and a constant state of giving. And what I realized is you got to start with giving. If you want to grow and learn, start giving. Okay. And as you give, you, you learn and then you grow. So, yeah, I'm constantly seeking out. In fact, people who want to be in touch with me, you know, look me up on all the social channels. It's John Gucci Foley. Come to the website. JohnFoleyInc.com. In fact, that was the meeting right before this. We were launching a new website. So by the time this thing goes out, we'll have a new website up there to stay connected because I want to learn and I want to learn every day. And it's amazing what you can learn. And then what's really key, and I'll add this, tie it back to your own experiences. You don't have to have my experiences. Who cares? Tie it back to your own experiences. And now you have power.
2: I love this, John. It's so contagious, and I can appreciate the, you can change your brain through this really positive attitude. Would you share with me, I really appreciated the story about your dad and him buying this real estate. Next thing you know, he's got this diversified real estate portfolio. How about you? Is it something that you sort of continued with? How do you think about your financial investments? and
3: Well, I've learned from my dad, right? So back to him, it was pretty simple. He had a, a small family and he was making 35000 a year. That's it. He would do his own work. I remember him, uh, he was an engineer and he'd come home and we'd re uh, we built bricks around the garage. It became uh, a family room, right? And he did all electrical and all the plumbing. Then he went downstairs in the basement and redid that. So he would add value to every investment that he had. And uh, once he added that value, he would then be able to rent it at a higher rate and then he'd go off and do it again and initially you know it took a while I mean because it was just your own family homes that's what he was doing he wasn't investing he was just trying to keep his family you know happy and comfortable but then you know you get to a state and one thing that he never sold see that was really interesting he didn't have to sell to reinvest He kept those and so built a pretty good portfolio. And then when we moved to California, we all loved California and he got into more of the apartments and it wasn't just homes. Now it was more of an investment. So I watched him do that. We had a portfolio about, I guess, 14 buildings when he passed away, my mom and him. And so my, you know, we've inherited that and and it's great. We keep those going. Didn't have to change much. I mean, dad set it up really good. But what what happened is there is, is yeah, is, you know, now I I invest in usually private equity deals that are are going into the uh, uh, office space. So we probably have a couple hundred buildings out there. Not me personally. This is through the, the groups, right? A couple hundred units. You know, I'm constantly learning. I still have some of my own, obviously, but I've, I've actually outsourced most of that because I've got a day job. I, I'm, I, I'm not trying to just invest every minute. I want to trust people who are really smart, know what they're doing. And then what I've also learned lately is that once you meet really good people, they'll bring really good deals to you. And so, you know, we'll do a lot of those Private label deals. So the answer is, yeah, it's important. I never, no one understood the stock market. I still don't. But there's a lot of smart people out there. I believe in companies. I I believe in management teams. I invest not just on the numbers. I invest on people. And you have people and the numbers. Now you got a a home run. And uh, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy. I got the Gucci, the Gucci portfolio.
1: I love it. (laughs) And John, as we try to, you know, tie that red thread that you're talking about through the stories you've shared with us you're someone who gets a lot of satisfaction out of helping other people and help them become better in who they are. And as you've matured throughout your life, you've been accumulating wealth and investing it. Is there an intersection between the two outside of your work? Yeah. Uh, I've started
3: this Glad to Be Here Foundation. My wife and I have. And uh, it started about, about a decade ago. I always wanted to give back. But honestly, this, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money. This only happened recently. I mean, I've been working hard. I was a military guy. I've been at zero twice in my life. So I, I know what it takes to uh, have to reinvent yourself. And the bottom line is that I realized that I wanted to give. I didn't have a lot of money. And I, and so I thought, well, I'll wait till someday I make a lot of money and then I, I can give. And that wasn't working. That's by the way, was not working. So I said, well, why don't I start today? And I realized that the way to do that is on future revenues. So my wife and I talked, I said, hey, let's give 10% of all our future revenues to charity. She goes, that's great. We started small. And then I realized that, you know, clients, like I said, I work with over 100 organizations a year. So many clients are out there, are so philanthropic. I mean, there's such a good world out there. Everybody wants to give. And so I started talking to them about it. I said, hey, what, what's important to you? And they said, oh, well, we, we support, you know, this local hunger bank or, you know, we support Doctors Without Borders or this kind of stuff. And I said, great. I I said, I'm going to give 10% of my fees to charity. You don't have to put in a dime. This is coming from the fee you already hired me with. And then I realized that I had a lot of charities that I wanted to donate to because I started to see the people out the world. Back then, I just got back from Africa two weeks ago. I brought uh, 12 corneas over there because a buddy of mine, Jeff Tabin, he's a doctor at Stanford. He, he does the Himalayan cataract project. And he goes over there and cures people of blindness, cataracts and, and corneas. And you can do it for 40 bucks, by the way. In the, in the third world, for $40, you can cure someone of blindness from a, from a cataract. So we went over there. He cured 1,700 people in a couple weeks. And I was, I was just a small part of that, right? But the point is that now I'm trying to not just give money but give awareness go out there be boots on the ground see people when they wake up a mother who's had a child doesn't know what they look like it's so powerful to see that when they see their own child for the first time it's amazing right anyhow yeah i get emotional it's so cool It's so cool. There's so many good things going on in the world. So, in the last decade, my wife and I, we've been able to support over 300 foundations around the world. We sponsor 57 kids uh, in 57 countries. Our goal is to have a child in each country. (laughs) But uh, damn, it's hard. It's just so cool. There's so many good things
1: going on. Beautiful, John. And uh, so beautiful.
2: Yeah, that's what we do.
1: Sharing that. That's really. Super cool and extremely inspiring. And thank you for helping make our world better in that way.
3: Yeah, well, and we all can do it. See, that's the thing is that, I mean, I started with nothing. So don't get me wrong. I'm not Warren Buffett out there, right? I mean, I think what he and Beale Gates are doing is great. You start small. And again, start with the future revenues. You don't feel guilty. It's not about, oh, I haven't done this in the past. You know, forget that. Just the future. And what you find, and this is, this is not only spiritually true, it's psychologically true. And in my life, it's you can just check the numbers. When you give, you receive. And you receive not only probably the most important things, your heart messages, but business starts coming in like crazy. So you can create the life you want, but start with giving. Even a dollar, it's not the amount. This is the other thing. It's psychologically, the way this works is it's not the amount. It's not if you give a million dollars, if you give $10, if you give $1 and the key is to celebrate what you just did. So when I go to bed at night, I think about, hey, what joy did we create today? Oh, you know, we were able to support the Himalayan cataract project and bingo, that's where the seeds get planted.
2: John, tell us what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with?
3: Well, I mean, I actually got a portfolio thing just in the mail today with my buddy. So we're buying about 80 apartments in the uh, Oregon area. But uh, so I got I got to decide what investment I'm going to make on that, which I'm going to do a small investment. But the key is because I believe in him. I, you know, the market's the market. And it's still good. It's a good, it's a good market. That's a very simple one I I just got to execute on. But more importantly, what I'm thinking about is I'm looking at the macro, not just the micro. You know, where's the world going? Companies are out there doing amazing things. I am very bullish about individuals and leadership teams. I see that. Uh, They're smart enough just like some of the things I did, you got to reinvent yourself. But you know, there, there's also a correction potentially coming. I mean, I'm, I'm not a money person, but you know, I'm aware that, you know, it, it's just not always rosy. So, uh, I'm looking at that, but I'm betting on people. So, those are, are my decisions. But again, more importantly, I'm just thinking about giving back. I know if I give back, if I help others, then all this other stuff just kind of takes care of itself.
2: Cheers to that. And you've helped us by being a guest on our Money Tales podcast and for that commitment to learning your passion for giving back, your belief in people. And thanks for sharing your glad to be here attitude with us.
3: John, thank you. Thank you. And thanks for what you all do for so many people. Like I said, I hope if just one person is inspired by this, keep making a difference. You all are making a great difference and uh, I enjoy life. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Hey, Cammie, that was such an exciting conversation with John Foley. Tell me, what was your biggest takeaway?
2: Sandy, he pumped me up. (laughs) He is so intense and he's so collaborative and motivational. So there are many. One thing that really stood out to me is what creates a breakthrough team. And that was having a glad to be here mindset you got to have the processes, you got to have the strategy and the operations, all that's really, really critical. But the thing that really gets teams to win, whether in business or sports or any other type of group environment, is when you've got people together who are extremely grateful for the opportunity and don't think about themselves, they think of collectively as the team. And I'll just share one other story that really resonated when he talked about when he got off the the Blue Angels, he landed on the aircraft. He knew it was not just about him. It was about the 5,000 people on the aircraft carrier that do all the things that make it possible. And I think that's really powerful when we think about leading teams and, and really thriving. It's about the team. It's about being grateful and working together. What about you, Sandy?
1: I'm going to build on the glad to be here mindset and talk about the glad to be here debrief. I really liked that notion as a process for people to learn. And I think there's a great applicability of the debrief that people can use with their personal finances. So just as a reminder of what John said, the glad to be here debrief is to have a conversation after you've completed something, after you've finished a project. And you want to make sure that there are five different things going on want to have a safe environment. You want to make sure everyone's respecting every, everyone else. You want to make sure each pe- person comes into the room with humility, openness, and honesty, and that everyone shows up with ownership mentality. And I think this is such a great way for people to approach their personal finances, especially for couples or families who are making financial decisions together. After you have made a decision and it plays out, have a glad to be here money debrief. <laughs> create a safe environment. Be respectful to one another. Speak openly and honestly. Check your ego at the door and take accountability for your role in in the decision and how it played out and determine, did it work well for you? What worked well? What can you learn from the experience? What can you learn and apply to the next money decision that you make together? I really liked that idea.
2: Mm, I appreciate you bringing that to life. And I I could see the value of applying that to financial decisions and financial conversations. And we should look back and learn from, from the past as we go forward. The other thing that really resonated with me, Sandy, is how he talked about money is not his driver. He said he has a larger purpose. He's got a great team around him. And the money was not the key. It's not the driver for happiness. And it's really the byproduct. I can't hear that enough. And I, I know in Money Tales, we hear a lot of people bring this up. And it's just really important to remind ourselves that money is, is the byproduct and that money's important and it supports a lot of goals. But it's not. You got to understand what you're trying to accomplish and what are your values and it's not about just maximizing the dollars.
1: Well said, Cami. well said. One additional thought that John brought up in the conversation that I can't walk away from without discussing was how he was sold life insurance at the beginning of his naval career before he became a pilot. And I thought that was interesting because life insurance is really important for a lot of people. And there are many different types of life insurance policies And I think it's really important when people are making life insurance decisions that they have a really good sense of what the purpose of the life insurance is. When we look at life insurance with clients, we're always focused on what is the driver? What is the purpose? If someone dies, will there be enough to cover, enough financial resources to cover the needs of the people who are remaining that the person would want to take care of and and help support? If the answer is no, life insurance can oftentimes be a good solution for that. In many cases, the need for life insurance is not permanent though. Over time, people will continue to live, they'll build resources, they'll amass enough wealth on their own so that if they died, there would be enough financial resources without life insurance to cover the needs of the VIPs in their life. And so when it comes to buying life insurance, it's important to know the difference between whole life insurance, which was the type of insurance that it sounds like John was being sold, and term insurance, which covers the insured person for a specific period of time. It might be 10 years or 20 years, but the idea is that that term covers the period of time that that person thinks it will take them to amass enough wealth to provide resources. And we all have to also remember, the longer you live, the less of a need the people around you will have because they're going to grow up and, and be able to create financial success and resources for themselves.
2: Thanks for sharing that really important financial insight, Sandy.
1: And thank you to John Foley for being our guest. It was such a, a joy to be able to speak with him and hear about his life experiences and what he's doing to make our world better for everyone.
2: Indeed. Thanks, John. And thanks to our listeners. Please reach out to us at podcasts at com. Let us know about your money conversations.
1: And if you like this episode, be sure to share it with your five best friends. Thanks so much, everyone. See you next time on Money Tales. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy
0: Brager and Kami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to aspirantcom slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales.